the move going deep speed race. He's got Hill. He's got Hill. From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. He's got it. Miami is in the playoffs. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, a break in our regularly scheduled action here on the podcast, a pause on the 2023 season review. As we can tell you about a big hire in the organization, Anthony Weaver has been named the newest defensive coordinator of your Miami Dolphins. We're going to do a comprehensive look at his career, where he's been, what he's done, the impact of his hire, his aligned vision with Coach McDaniel. We'll get testimonials and a whole heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. I think we start here with the statement from head coach Mike McDaniel, who issued this to say about Anthony Weaver on Saturday. I am excited to add Anthony to our staff, not only for what he will bring to the Dolphins as a teacher and coach, but even more so who he is as a leader of men. He has a proven resume of success built on his personal investment in his players. Most importantly, he shares our belief that player development is the cornerstone to both team building and sustained excellence. Through conversations with him and those who have worked with him, it became clear that we have aligned values in football philosophies and coaching, end quote. So I want to make sure that I'm not just spewing blind positivity and just telling you this is a great hire for reasons X, Y, and Z, and that this will make everything right in the world. And the Dolphins, once again, here in February, we can champion them as real title contenders because of the moves they make, right? That's what we kind of buy into whenever you make a move of any sort. And I, my coverage has always been that way, even before the team, that I try to identify what I think could work, what I think will work with people, coaches, or players, and attack it accordingly and bring up and address the potential negatives without harping on them too much because I think that's the best way to do this because you're all fans of a team that you have no control over. And why would you volunteer your emotions to something in a way that you're going to constantly dredge up negativity. I just never have understood that. So let me go go ahead and be perfectly clear here that this entire concept of this episode is to give you, here's what it could look like in the ideal scenario. We'll also talk about some of the negatives that come along with, with the uh, resume of a coach that gets hired here. So just want to go ahead and put that out there and lead in with this because this liner right here, He shares our belief that player development is the cornerstone to both team building and sustained excellence. And it's time for me to diatribe off of that a little bit because I always refer back to Stephen Ross's end of 2018 press conference when the whole organizational structure, the whole approach and mission statement and philosophy of the Miami Dolphins kind of got flipped on its head, right? It used to be patched up TJ McDonald, Robert Quinn, Andre Branch, Kiko Alonso, sign him up. Let's go ahead and extend this thing and get a little bit better at the cost of our entire future. And they went from Chris Greer as, you know, a kind of co-GM. So I know he was named the GM in 2016, but he didn't have the president of football operations who signed all those bad contracts, right? Mike Tannenbaum uh, from 16 through 18. In 19, he became the man, like the, the grand poobah. And at that press conference, Ross referred to the idea of sustained success. 
mission statement of the undertaking of a rebuild heading into a miserable 2019 season where we had all kinds of big money contracts tied up into bad players who were on the wrong side of 30 and were no longer performing anywhere near the level of the compensation they were paid. Were they ever like Kiko's contract, like TJ's contract, like Andre Branch's contract? Got rid of that type of thinking. And the mission statement here carried over the last five years, but in earnest, you call it four years since the first year of that was really taking your medicine, right? Again, trading Robert Quinn for, was it a fifth round pick just to get his money off the books or Ryan Tannehill for fifth and sixth round picks to get their money off the books. You take your medicine that one year, you don't bring in new assets, you move your assets to the future, you get your high draft pick by losing a bunch of games, and then you go after in year number two. And since then, only four teams have more wins over the last four seasons than your Miami Dolphins. Now, we have not enjoyed the playoff success we would all love to have had over that time, not even close, not even one. But I think that there should be some appreciation for the fact that this team has played one game in the last four seasons that was meaningless, right, in terms of playoff viability. Week 18 versus the Patriots in 2021 is the only team this game, only game this team, whoops, has played since the pandemic season that didn't count. I mean, it counted, but it didn't matter, right? That's it. Every other one of the 68 games that includes two postseason games have had meaning within the standings in the NFL. How many other teams can say that? Buffalo can. The Ravens have the exact same number as us. Their 2021 finale also did not matter in playoff contention that year. Funny how that mirrors us. Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay are the teams that have had that. Seven teams can can say they've played zero or one meaningless games over the last four years. So there has been sustained success, even if the tip of that success has not been reached yet. Yet. But I think that's where you start. That's the mission statement. And then from there, you have variables, good and bad bounces. And then, of course, the ability to overcome the next obstacles. For us, the bad bounces outweighed the good. Neither of our top two quarterbacks available for the playoff game last year and a defense full of brand new players and an offense that was strung together by duct tape and bubble gum in the playoffs this year on top of bad performances from a couple of your key players. But by consistently putting yourself in contention, that's the only way you're going to ever potentially break through, right? Because we've seen a lot of, most of the greats struggle to break through more than once or twice. I think about the Favre-led Packers all the time, the Manning-led Colts, the Breeze-led Saints, teams that combined for 32 playoff appearances with those teams and just three rings combined. The Saints had Breeze for 15 years, and they made the playoffs nine times, won a single championship, the only one they went to, a 9-9 nine and nine mark in the postseason. The Colts had Peyton Manning for 13 years, made the playoffs 11 times, and won one championship, went to another one, lost that one to Drew Breeze's Saints. They were 9-10 and 10 in the playoffs. Isn't it weird how not just the fact that his second ring he won with a, was with a negative touchdown-interception ratio and the lowest cumulative production for a Super Bowl-winning quarterback ever in the history of the Super Bowl, but also how the Broncos lost twice in the divisional round at home, both as number one seeds. Food for thought there about Manning's playoff success and his perception as an all-time great. For the Packers, they had far for 16 years, made the playoffs 12 times, won a single championship, the only one they went to. A 12-10 and 10 mark in the postseason for him and the Packers. This is a roundabout way to describe how difficult it is to not just win championships, but how hard it is to win once you get into the postseason. And it shows you how alien-like Mahomes is and Brady was, right? But the point of all this is that I think the results-based expectations you should operate under is the presence 
in contention? How often do you have an opportunity to go into the postseason and make some noise? And, like, I'm not talking about Steelers contention. Like, they were never a threat to win the championship over the last two or three years, right? But they were there because they would get their, their wins over and battle teams late in the year and make a push into the postseason. But, like, for us, we thought we had a championship-caliber team this year until things got kind of wonky. I want that. I want that every single year going into Christmas thinking there's a chance that we're playing in the Super Bowl in a month and a half from now. And extrapolating results beyond that, I think, can get into insufficient practice because you're holding those expectations against an unsatisfiable standard. One championship in an average of 11 years for those previous three quarterbacks. If, if the Dolphins do that, if they win one championship in the next 12 years under Tua and McDaniel, you're going to look back in this era as the most successful those franchises had besides a blip on the radar in the 70s, right? And to tie it back to this idea of player development and consistent contention, well, that's what Coach Weaver had to say about his time in Baltimore and why I put together this entire nearly 10-minute diatribe right here about his time in an organization that shares the exact same philosophical approach that we hold. Here is Coach Weaver on why he wanted to get back to Baltimore after being a player for the Ravens, but then as to continue his, or begin, I should say, his coaching career with that same team. And just real quick, a uh, heads up, this audio is incredibly low. I could not find any other version of it that was better quality. I bumped it all the way up on my end, so go ahead and turn your speakers up for the next two minutes or so here because Anthony Weaver talks about his philosophy about sustained success and how you create that. Here's the new Dolphins DC on just that. Again, turn the speakers up, and we'll go back down after his audio ends. So ever since I left Baltimore as a player, I've always, I've always wanted to find my way back there. Just to, as we talked about, you, you want to see, see how the dinner's made. Right? You want to see why they've been able to have such sustainable success for a number of years. It became incredibly clear once I got back within those walls. There's always been some alignment issues in some of these other organizations, and that's why they have the ups and downs and fluctuations through time. Because in a lot of ways, you have too many like chefs in the kitchen that all have different ideas. When you get to Baltimore, because essentially the hierarchy has been there for a very long time, they have a very shared vision and, and shared belief system, right? They know exactly what they're looking for in players, they know exactly the type of coach that they want to identify and bring in to help develop those guys. And then they, they know exactly how to acquire them without essentially putting you in cat purgatory. And once you see that alignment, that is what I realized, like, oh, okay, like this is, this is how you do it. You find a bunch of people that ultimately like, care about service and, and want, to, want the best for the team and their guys and then have a shared approach on how to get there and then stick to it. Yeah, are you gonna adapt and adjust and evolve along the way? Sure, and they have, right? They've, they've changed GMs from Ozzie Newsom to Eric DaCosta. Uh, they've had different head coaches, but along the way, the fabric of who that team is hasn't changed. They know what they want on defense. They know what they want on offense. They stay true to it, and they're always in contention year after year after year. And I think ultimately, whether you're a coach or any organization, that is what you're chasing, right? The, the opportunity year in and year out to not only be relevant, but to give yourself a chance to win it all. I mean, that could have been written by Coach McDaniel himself, right? Shared vision. You know, Fangio worked out the players that he wanted and they didn't sign him. And that was 
not necessarily a culture fit. This is what I kind of assume it to be because McDaniel talks all the time about a carefully curated locker room and the personalities and how pieces fit in that locker room. We had the whole agenda about non-negotiables for Cam Smith and Channing Tindall. Like, that's not a collaborative, you know, open-door type of philosophy that the head coach has. So if your DC doesn't have that, it's conflicting messages. And that's why I like the idea of getting a guy that sees the game the way you do and it sees the modern approach for athletes the way that you do because we're going to hear some testimonials here on the third segment. And I just don't think that old school way of doing it works anymore. And we have guys that can tell you proof of that. Let's go back to 2020 when with the Houston Texans. Coach Weaver, again, more talk here about his philosophy as a football coach. Everybody that's here, uh, we are compelled to try not to waste this season. Uh, and for me, it's, it's all about these players. And I've, I've been in their shoes, and they have such a short window in their careers, and you never know how long it's going to last. So I understand that for a lot of people, this is it's a game. I get it. And we're held to a, a high standard. It's entertainment. I understand that. But for these players in this locker room, their careers are finite. So I understand where we're at. We're on four. We got to do better. But there's 12 games left to play. And, and us, us, these players and our staff, we're going to do everything in our power to try to win. That, of course, after a four-game losing streak to open the 2020 season, the finite window and maximizing their earning and playing potential. That's like word for word what McDaniel has talked about here since he got here. How about an added element of toughness? It's a mindset, right? Here's Coach Weaver and how he defines toughness on a football team. In this game of football, you hear coaches talk a lot about toughness. And to me, the toughness of a football team is measured by, one, your ability to run the ball on offense, and then your ability to stop the run on defense. So um, we, are, we, are, we are determined and impassioned to go out there and, and make teams one-dimensional and be tough and physical at the line of scrimmage, get those guys on a second level swarming and knocking people down because you want to you wanna make the team one-dimensional and know that you're not going to come here and push us around and try to bully us. We're the bullies. You better put the ball in the air. So that's a little bit of the thinking, the philosophy, the presence that Coach Weaver brings to the table. I've gotten texts from people around the league or the, the content transfer who say, dude, you're going to love Coach Weaver. So I can't wait to meet him personally, that first press conference, and just hear him talk some football. I'm betting I'll get more words from him when I see him in the hallway than the four words I got from Coach Fangio over the you know, 11 months that he was here, over the 25 passings in the hallway, and courtesy of the sub coach and just a grumble back to me. I look forward to getting actual human responses from that. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there. Come back on the other side, explore coach's history, the schemes I think he might institute here in Miami, personnel usages, all of that, and a heck of a lot more. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Dolphins hire a defensive coordinator, Anthony Weaver, formerly of the Ravens, Houston Texans, and a few other clubs as well. I want to go ahead and break this portion here as we take a look at the schemes and systems and ideas of what it might look like here under Anthony Weaver in Miami. Let's go ahead and start with a broad introduction into Coach's career who developed six Pro Bowl players serving as their particular position coaches with said team. So in Buffalo in 2013, Mario Williams, Kyle Williams, and Marcel Darius, all those guys had it happen under the tutelage of Anthony Weaver. And Darius, you might recall, was a bit of a miss early on in his career and developed beyond that into the stud that he was supposed to be. Kyle Williams is always awesome. And then Mario Williams kind of had a little bit of an up and down time, but he played some of his best ball there in Buffalo as well. And then he goes to Houston where Mario came from and has Jadavian Clowney go to three consecutive Pro Bowls, 16, 17, and 18, and J.J. Watt in 2018 as well. And most recently, Justin Matabuike in Baltimore 
this past season. And Matt Abuike was a third-round draft pick who started off kind of slow but really developed into the player that he has become with Anthony Weaver as his position coach. And so I look at him, I look at Jadavian Clowney's evolution as a player, and it's certainly an interesting study because the ultimate feather in the cap of Weaver, I think, is Clowney, who came into the league with more expectations than almost anybody at that position ever had. And it didn't start off that way for him, but then he gets under Coach Weaver and gets back-to-back Pro Bowl years, and then Weaver leaves, and then Clowney joins him years after that, after a couple of down seasons, and ties his career high this past year in Baltimore under Anthony Weaver with nine and a half sacks. In fact, the three years with Weaver, nine and a half, nine, and nine and a half. He did have nine sacks with the Browns in 2021, but the next highest total was six. And besides that, four and a half. So Weaver always means more sacks for Clowney. Why? What's what's the reason that happened, right? Like, and I swear, I just accidentally stumbled upon this. Maybe I shouldn't even admit this and just say it was all playing for the theme of the show. And that theme being that Weaver is a natural piece that slots in perfectly. Remember all year on the show how I would talk about these teams that are tops and sacks and how all the other teams that were up there had either a Miles Garrett, a Micah Parsons, a TJ Watt. Well, Miami and Baltimore were the teams that didn't have that. They had it spread across guys that had eight, nine, ten sacks, right? And check this out from BaltimoreBeatdown.com. The difference in Jadavian Clowney and other places is that he's developed a skill move, but also add in he has the complementary pieces around him that he's not Jadavian Clowney, the first-round pick, the number one guy. He just became Jadavian. The Ravens have 15 different defenders who also recorded at least a half of the sack and six players who had three or more. Clowney ranks second on the team with seven and a half sacks. That was before the year ended, obviously, and was on pace to eclipse his career high of nine and a half and record double figures for the first time. Now, he ended with nine and a half, so it didn't quite happen, but you get the idea. He's just Jay, so he's not treated any different than Mike P., Michael Pierce. He's not treated any different than Tavius Robinson when it comes to the overall how we look at the structure of the defense. He comes in with a learning attitude and he's using his moves. That's from Roquan Smith there who talked about the versatility of the Ravens defense and the widespread production. So Weaver did a good job, it sounds like, of cultivating the team mindset that we have here is what I'm trying to say, especially in that defensive line room with coach Austin Clark, who just loves his guys to death and they reciprocate that by working their butts off for him. Now, Weaver spent the past three seasons, 01 or 21 through 23, with the Ravens, where he served one year as the run game coordinator and defensive line coach and two years as an assistant head coach slash defensive line, but was still doing run game coordination. So in 2023, the Ravens led the NFL in scoring defense. They went 13 and four. They are the top seed in the AFC playoffs. And in Weaver's three years, they allowed 95.3 rushing yards per game. That ranks third in the NFL over that span. And their 4.06 yards per carry was fourth during that span so run defense he kind of brings that with him most of the places that he goes I love the idea that we now have one of the game's most innovative run game designers on offense like just watch other teams only us and the Niners have more creative exotic wrinkles off the original original like type of run you might act run action you might see and it changes every damn week like it's fun to watch practice because they're they're Drills on air, just the quarterback exchange with the running back, it changes like every single week. Then on defense, Weaver is pretty well known for a tough-nosed defense that does not give an inch against the run. So prior to his time in Baltimore, Weaver served as defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans in 2020 after spending four years as the team's D-line coach. During his five seasons there, the team won the AFC South 
title three times, and his defensive line produced four Pro Bowls, a three from Clowney and the one from Watt. In 2016, the Texans produced the NFL's top-ranked defense uh, for the first time in franchise history. Weaver also spent time as the defensive line coach in Cleveland and Buffalo. That was 13 for Buffalo, 14 and 15 for Cleveland, and was the assistant D-line coach for the Jets in 2012. Uh, he had three pro Bowlers in 2013. He also began his coaching career as a graduate assistant at Florida in 2010 before linebackers at North Texas in 2011. As a player, he appeared in 103 games with 98 starts for Baltimore, 02 to 05, his entire rookie contract there. And then Houston, 06 to 08, he totaled 260 tackles, 15 and a half sacks in a seven-year career. And he picked off three passes, forced five fumbles, and had five recoveries. He was a second-round draft pick by the Ravens after an All-American career at Notre Dame. That's who he is, where he came from. So Notre Dame and Baltimore, man, like toughness. That's what I think of those two teams. Let's go ahead and narrow our focus here about his scheme to, to really two ideas here. Number one, the D.C. work in Houston, and then two, the last few years in Baltimore. So back in 2020, the Texans' defense, they were terrible. I mean... Even looking at the end-of-year roster compared to the opening day roster, all the guys I'm about to mention eventually wound up on IR. And quite frankly, that's the only way you ever get these bottom-out seasons when you have like good players, like, good, like a good quarterback or a good offense. Like The Texans had Deshaun Watson all of 2020 before he became what we now know of Deshaun Watson, right? Well, I guess he was doing that stuff. We didn't know about it. Um, but to go 4-12... and 12, on a team like that, you have to have significant injuries and things that just happened at the course of the season. And it was Coach Weaver's defense that fell on the sword. So that year, they had Zach Cunningham, Justin Reed, J.J. Watt was in his age 31 season. But beyond that, it's a bunch of guys who really weren't around in the league much longer. So I think it's difficult to really extrapolate results from that team, and it wasn't good, right? They were fresh off the Tunzel trade, an all-in type of approach that we saw them have to pay up that tab on and endure three seasons of 10 wins combined over the following three years. And as a result of a half-baked all-in surge that really went belly up just a few weeks into the second year of it, a team that had Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, Kenny Stills, the aforementioned Tunzel. They traded assets for a declining David Johnson. What I'm telling you is they put all their eggs in the offensive basket. In fact, here are the top snap takers on that Texans defense. The first round pick in J.J. Watt was the snap leader, but he was 31 years old. A former first round pick who got cut by his first team, Vernon Hargraves, got signed and started for the Houston Texans. A second round pick in Zach Cunningham, who I've always thought was pretty limited as a linebacker. A fourth round pick in Eric Murray. A third round pick in Justin Reed, who was the best player on that defense and is kind of the one that sticks out of this entire group. A UDFA in 2016 turned journeyman linebacker Tyrell Williams. A second round pick in 2019, who had been on three teams in three years, and Lonnie Johnson, 30-year-old Whitney Merciless was also the next snap taker on that team. So eight players I just listened to you that basically were either at the end of their career or just never played good ball in their career. And it showed 27th in points, 30th in total defense, last in takeaways, and last in yards per carry allowed. It was not good. You get the point, though, right? We can extrapolate at least a semblance of how he wants to design things, and maybe it's Fugazi, Fugazi. Uh, Maybe he tailors it completely different for his personnel, but I think you can still get a sense of what he likes from where he's been, who his influences are and were, and what he called. The big-name coaches he spent time with, speaking of influences, 
were Rex Ryan, Mike Pettin, Romeo Crennel, Mike Vrabel, and Dean Pease, and Wink Martindale. He played on Ryan's line for three years, and then his last year in Baltimore was Rex's first year as D.C. So Rex said, hey, get over here. I need you after your great playing career. Mike Pettin was on the staff for the entirety of his playing career and would move on to the Jets where Coach Weaver arrived there under Rex. And that was in 2012 after two years in college, uh, at Florida and North Texas. So first year in the NFL with two coaches he played under and Ryan and Petten, then a one-year stop in Buffalo with Mike Petten again before following him to Cleveland, and Doug Marone was the head coach of Buffalo, someone he had not worked with yet. It makes me think that Petten probably had some good words to say about Coach Weaver, and Marone said, okay, you can bring him in. Because again, he followed Petten to Cleveland where he took the head coaching job in 2014, and then Petten was fired after the 2015 season, and Weaver headed to Houston under Romeo Crennel, in 2016. Then Cronell gets promoted to assistant head coach and they bring in Mike Vrabel to coach the defense. Vrabel had been coaching linebackers before getting the promotion there to DC and that lasted just one year before he took the head coaching job over in Tennessee. Then Romeo goes back to DC for two years, defensive coordinator, before reverting back to associate head coach and ultimately becomes their interim head coach. And that's where Weaver earns the DC job. I mean, it was when, uh, Bill O'Brien got fired in like the first was the like week five of that year, so it was toxic in Houston at that point, right? And they that was when they had the chaplain who was like running things and doing his weird uh, like Christian retreat routine that was like for twelve year olds. Um, but just think about all those guys, the common themes across the defense that you can conjure up just from memory. A lot of odd fronts. Odd means odd number of players. Typically, it's a 3-4, but you can get different looks from that as well. Lots of stunts and games, twists, the things that we've run very successfully here for a long time now, and a heavy, heavy blitz count. That's kind of the jumping off point. But again, coaches don't just copy and paste their systems from what they know. They adapt them. They put their own twist on it. They adjust it for personnel, right? But what I really notice about these connections is that there's also connections to guys on our current staff. A lot of the stuff is rooted in early Patriots lingo, you know, pre 2010s, which is shades of the systems, the guys that we have here, at least for now, we'll see. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to the coaching staff going forward, but right now, the guys that cut their teeth that are here, they did that under Patriots type of tutelage, right? Like in football, you have a lot of different terms ultimately mean the same thing. Like oftentimes learning a system is just the verbiage. This route is called this in one system. It's called this in another system, but it's the same route. And who knows what it will be, but for Coach Austin Clark, for Coach Anthony Campanelli, they cut their teeth under Flores and Boyer, which is the most direct line to some of those Patriots tree concepts, right? So you feel like they should be up to speed quickly on a lot of that if they are the ones that are in these positions. And two of the star coaches in the organization to boot in those those guys, Clark and Campanelli, that have been through multiple multiple coaching staffs, and I think that speaks to their performance and their competence. Let's go ahead and look at those systems, though, starting with what was most important, what coach himself in Houston that one year. They had 36% rate blitzing, which ranked seventh in the National Football League, so you're going to go from almost never blitzing to blitzing a lot more, I think is, is what I gather from this. That leads to an air yards against that ranked sixth. The ball comes out hot. It places an importance on tackling. And just a quick aside, that's where I think about Kyle Hamilton, we talk about analogs in that defense versus this defense. And if we have that analog on the roster, oh, yeah, we have a guy named Javon Holland who I don't think he's really that close to what uh, Kyle Hamilton was this year, 
but he's in that echelon of top safeties in the National Football League. His best traits is versatility, and if you saw those Ravens playoff games, Hamilton's the straw that stirs that drink, man. They funnel things to him in coverage, in space as a tackler. They utilize his knowledge, his anticipation, and overall skills to put him in position to come downhill and make plays. I tend to think that's where it starts. So Javon Hall, I think, benefits big time from that. I think Zach Sealer has a lot of the uh, Matabuike and side type of, of physicality that he won with pure brute force. I think the next analog you look for are the edge rushers, and Clowney matches up with Phillips's play style quite a lot. Power, some speed, a good rush arsenal. Uh, Bradley Chubb kind of has some of the Odafe Owe off the other perimeter edge, or off the other edge, I should say, with his skill set. But I think the position you kind of look at in terms of what do we have, what do they have, is the middle linebacker spot. I, I like David Long's game a whole lot, but I don't think he's as big or as physical as either Smith or Queen, but that's an interesting analog to find there. But I think in general, you do have lots of those. I think that where you need to find a new one is probably the slot position, whether it's Cater's reverting back to his rookie year performance or a new player in general. I think Ramsey is better than anything the Ravens had at the cornerback position, but it kind of fits that physical mentality. Get up, press up, play in their face, disrupt timing, disrupt routes. I think you'll see that with lots of blitzing to really make quarterbacks have to be quick, make them have to elude and escape, and then hopefully the rush plan is as good as the Ravens have had it for so long because you have to Heat these quarterbacks up. You have to have good rush lane integrity to stop these mobile quarterbacks, something we did not do all year long. In fact, if you look at the Dolphins' defensive performances last year, they kind of feasted on bad offenses, and the good offenses got the best of us. And it goes back to the preseason. Remember that last game against Jacksonville when Trevor Lawrence went up and down the field all game long on us, and the backup quarterback did as well? Or the Chargers week one with Austin Eckler going for 200 yards, or the Bills in week four, pretty much a perfect offensive performance. Or the Eagles, when they got whatever they wanted in that fourth quarter, just went up and down the field or the Chiefs kind of shut them down, or the Ravens, 56 points, or the Bills, you know, if it wasn't for four red zone turnovers or, or pointless drives in the, in the red zone, probably score 40 points in that game. So Dolphins defense, I thought, was kind of propped up a little bit this year on some, you know, feasting on, on bad quarterbacks, on the Daniel Joneses of the world, on the Tim Boyles of the world, and the Zach Wilsons and the uh, Sam Howells of the world. Just a quick aside right there. So that's something to think about. And I think that when you play these better quarterbacks, you have to have better plans to go meet them where they are and get stops that way. Uh, back to the, to the notes here. I had He had Justin Reed in 2020 as well, but here's the problem, and this is what we talked about with personnel. There was 125 missed tackles that year on that Houston defense. That was the sixth most in the National Football League. If you don't tackle in this system or, or what I think will be this system, you're going to be really bad. And that's, that's kind of the case for most systems, right? But that's a recipe for like execution, a coach can can rep it throughout the week or throughout the year, but if you don't execute tackling in the game, like nothing else really matters. So that 2020 Houston team had a, a bunch of hybrid fronts in base, uh, 23% 4-3 and 12% 3-4. So right there you see a bit of a departure from some of the previous influences that ran that primary 3-4 front in their base packages, right? And that's a very substantial chunk between two. Like most teams with a decent amount of both, you never get your secondary front over like 10%, but this team ran at 12% of the time, 34, and 23% uh, of the time, 43, double the amount of that. So I think he'll adjust to what we have, and right now I would say we probably don't have a true nose tackle, so I think probably right now it's an even front, but there's lots to be done, lots of things to happen over the next couple of uh, months here and draft picks, obviously, that will round out this roster and ultimately give you what becomes the Dolphins' defense in 2024. Speaking of 24, what's also cool about this is you get access to these coaches quite easily. I mean, I, I don't know where I would have found this stuff 10 years ago, but to the point of versatility, here's what Weaver said in his press conference once upon a time when he was asked about 
adapting your scheme to the players on defense. Here's Coach Weaver. Well, the, the creativity part of, of, of defensive scheming is, is maybe one of it's one of my favorite parts about the job. You know, you, you got to love the the chess match and trying to trying to put the pieces in the right place and get free runners and hit the quarterback and do all those things. That's I mean, that's that's part of the beauty in, in schematics. Again, I pulled that audio from the depth somewhere and it sounds like crap. I understand that, but I wanted to play it for you guys anyways. But there's more than just that. So 41% nickel, 20% dime. That's a ton of versatility, right? And again, I just don't think the Texans roster was good enough to get all those layers from an execution standpoint. It's also a very small amount of too high, just 13%, which is kind of what you've seen from this defense in the past couple of years where they just let Josh Allen go down the field slowly, play by play by play, right? And that number is actually lower than their use of zero coverage, which is 17%. So we should see more cover zero back in Miami. And when you've got Ramsey and Holland and Cater and Cam Smith, something I think he can do very well. It To me, it makes sense. You trust those guys with your rush package up front. They ran single high 70% of the time. Now, the league has changed a lot since then, so that probably changes too. But it's a good eye into what he might want to do. So we'll see how he wants to draw up in the past. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Versatility matchup based on your opponent. Converse of light boxes. Never been a defense that invites playing a man down in the fit in the running game because it's too important to them. Uh, player empowered, it sounds like some of the stuff that I've read, and I'll get into this, but also the shared vision of Coach McDaniel, collaboration, taking input from his guys. I'm excited about what he can do from a developmental standpoint. I like what this could mean for Cam Smith, realizing the potential that I think he has, and it's vast. I think he's one of the best cornerbacks in the class last year. I think it really opens up Holland. I think it really benefits a player like David Long, who will now have even more freedom in terms of not being responsible for so much free space up front, and the proof is in the pudding. Everywhere he's been, they found a way to get matchups for their pass rushers. The Ravens led the league in sacks this year, extracted nine and a half sacks from Justin Houston in his age 33 season last year. That defense also had five-plus sacks from Matt Abuike, Calais Campbell, and Patrick Queen. All three of those guys played different positions, and they also had the leading rookie pressure rusher in Odafe Owe back in 2021 and got seven sacks out of Tyus Bowser. So interesting stuff all around. A uh, good chance that this coach is a guy that I'm very excited about covering. We'll go ahead and get some testimonials here on the third and final segment of the Anthony Weaver edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Let's close this podcast with what the people out there are saying. I'm going to go ahead and read some testimonials here, which I don't have the audio on these. I just put them on Twitter, so I'll go ahead and just read them off this way. So Lewis Riddick, who covered the Ravens, a uh, week 18 game on the call for ESPN said that John Harbaugh could not say enough things about Anthony Weaver when we met him late in 2023. He thought Weaver was ready to be a head coach. This is a great get and a great opportunity. So I went back and found what John Harbaugh had to say. And he said this after he got, uh, and this was after the season. So kind of a follow up there to what Riddick said. Uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but he'll be a great head coach. He didn't get hired this cycle and great coaches did get hired, but someday some people are going to look back and say, man, we had a chance to hire Anthony Weaver. I guarantee you that. They're going to see that they missed their chance, and the next time around, somebody's not going to miss their chance. That's how I feel about Anthony. And for us, good news about that is if that happens, the Dolphins will get two third-round draft picks, uh, compensatory picks, if that is the case. Let's go ahead and finish here with Jerry Sandusky. Not that Jerry Sandusky, Jerry with a G. He is a Ravens play-by-play man and former player in the league. He said this on the Joe Rose Show. He is a quality guy. I mean, you're going to love this guy for your DC. And because he has lots of experience, he has seen the benefit of multiple and unpredictable. The Wink Martindales of the world out there, you know, just blitz all day, blitz all day. And then you got your super conservative guys that just sit back and cover two shell. Anthony's going to be a guy who's going to adapt personnel 
games down and distance and the philosophy of, look, you got a very athletic group on your defensive side. He's going to cut them loose because, like all great coaches, Anthony knows how to adapt scheme to personnel. And I've seen this question posed on the podcast or on Twitter about why would Baltimore pass over Weaver for Zach Orr? Sandusky had some great insight into that as well. He says, quote, John knew Anthony was ready to be defensive coordinator, but he also knew Zach Orr was ready to be a DC. And knowing how John thinks, I'm sure John felt like if he makes Anthony his DC, now Zach doesn't get fulfilled. But if he makes Zach the DC, he knew Anthony was getting another job because he was so ready. So the Ravens were lucky. They had two guys ready for the job, and the Dolphins are lucky because they just got a great defensive coordinator. More on this. Anthony has presence. You'll see him every week at the DC press conference. He's got a smile that lights up a room. He's got a physical presence that commands attention, but he's also, you're fresh off. This is like, he kind of was parsing his words. You're fresh off the memories of Vic Fangio, not one of the charming, lovable guys. And Fangio is your classic grind, grind, grind. Doesn't work anymore, guys. Today's player is not going to be ground into a dust. You have to bring the excellence out of players. You've got to go inside and get them to volunteer it. And I've watched Anthony do that as a defensive line coach here in Baltimore. He has the ability to get guys to work 10 times harder than they wanted to work, and they're doing it on their own, and that's today's coach. You've got some great athletes on that defense, and Anthony's going to use them in a non-traditional way. Look, that fits your Mike McDaniel scheme. You've got a non-traditional head coach who's taking cutting-edge, new approach to developing his team, and his players, and Anthony is going to fit that a whole lot better than Vic Fangio did. Fiend podcast, right? Pretty good. I'm excited about this. We'll have more coverage for you on Coach. We're going to have Kyle Krabs on the show to give us an update on the draft content post-Senior Bowl week. I'm also going to have, I believe, Sean Syed on to break down the Weaver scheme a little bit further, and we'll uh, cover his opening press conference when that happens. Plenty more to come here with DC Anthony Weaver, but on today's show, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy's coming home.